Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy. Joining me today, once again being dragged away from a hectic week over on the United side of the fence, I imagine, is Mr. Tyrone Marshall. Ty, how's it going? Uh, very well, thank you, Dan. Very well. Yeah, I was, uh, was doing a bit of City early in the week with the uh, wonderful news that Pep is staying for another two mm-hmm. years. Uh, things not been running quite as smoothly, it'd be fair to say, over on the, uh, the red side of town. Absolutely. Well, I've been off for the past four days and I feel like the whole world has changed since I've come back. So <laughs> I'm absolutely well behind everyone. But before I enter that um, absolute whirlwind um, of a story, I'll stay uh, nice and safe in this our little city house where everything is nice and rosy and simple because, as you say, Pep Guardiola has committed his future to Manchester City. We thought we'd be coming on to this podcast this week and only having um, World Cup stuff to talk about. But... Thankfully, City have given us, uh, as well as United, have given us a really big, juicy story to get our teeth stuck into. He has extended his contract by a further two years. Um, it was set to expire at the end of this season, but so that means his contract now takes him to 2025, which would mean nine years at City. Um, unsurprisingly, well longer than he has spent at any other club. Guardiola said on the big announcement, I am so pleased to be staying at Manchester City for another two years. I can't say thank you enough to everyone at the club for trusting me. I am happy and comfortable here. I have everything I need to do my job as best as possible. I know the next chapter of this club will be amazing for the next decade. It happened over the last 10 years and it will happen in the next 10 years because this club is so stable. From day one, I felt something special being here. I cannot be in a better place. I still have the feeling there is more we can achieve together and that is why I want to stay and continue fighting for trophies. Ty, this is like massive, isn't it? If, if, if there's one, you know, we can talk all we want about the position in the table before the break and little mishaps here and there and whatever and losing to Brentford. But the big question mark kind of hanging over City was would Guardiola be sticking around? Would he be staying for longer? As I've said, much longer than he's ever has anywhere else. Mm. To get this now before... The, the running for the rest of the season, get those um, question marks out the way, um, removing all sense of doubt. Um, it's just absolutely massive, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, pretty much every year, it's the the signing the city that City fans want to, to know that Pep is staying, uh, and that is the case. And strangely, it feels like this season, considering he's out of contract at the end of the year, that that's been the situation several times at City. I think this has been the most serene um, kind of year of uncertainty that, that City have had. I remember two years ago when he renewed, I think it was announced in the November then as well, but there was a lot of uncertainty at the start of that season and a lot, I think the general feeling then was that he was probably going to go at the end of that season. I think it was 2020-21. Um, this time around, I think there's been a general feeling that there's, there's just nothing to worry about and he was going to stay and he was asked about it before the um, before the Brentford game, the last game before the break and he basically, he wouldn't really talk about it, but he just said there's nothing to worry about when when the club and, and me are happy, then we'll talk about it and it'll get done. 
and he certainly gave the impression then that he was going to stay, and, and so it has proved. It's been a pretty simple deal to do. Um, Guardiola said that the only real issue he had was talking to his family and asking his family if he could stay, given it how long it has been. And other than that, I think on, on sporting reasons, he said it took him one second to decide. And you can see why he, he said a couple of weeks ago that he, he can't he can't get what he's got at City anywhere else. Um, in terms of the support and the infrastructure around him, the club has been crafted to his to his standards, really. You think of Cheeky and Ferran Soriano. You know, he's got people around him that he's known and trusted for years. It is a club. It is Pep's club, basically. You know, it's it's a club that has been built for him from even before he arrived here. And yeah, a, a pretty simple deal to do. Um, I think when he was seen in, in Abu Dhabi over the weekend for the Grand Prix, it it kind of sets um set Tom's wagon maybe that this was this was the moment it was it was gonna get done. City are actually going to Abu Dhabi for a, a winter training break during the World Cup. I think it's the fifth maybe of December, something like that. Um I might be playing a game over there as well. And I think there was a feeling then that that would be the chance to to meet club hierarchy and get it done. But the fact he was there for the Grand Prix kind of set set um Set people talking and, and the idea that maybe it's um, it's it's been done there and, and sure enough it was uh, it was done and dusted and pretty easy to do and exactly what City wants another another two years in the bag and this time I don't think it was ever in doubt. No, absolutely not. I feel like there was a sense before City won the the Champions League final a couple of years back that there was that maybe sense that if he'd won the Champions League against Chelsea. Um, and you know he'd won everything possible at City, and that might be the good time to bow out at the top, sort of thing. And and now it doesn't even feel like that. Now I don't think if City going to win the Champions League this season, I can't see. It feels like everything's been rejuvenated just because he's got Haaland in. More players to come. You never know. It feels like for the first time he's kind of rebuilding the team, and it could be even better than his last amazing team. And we know how good that was. You know, point record holders in the Premier League, eleven trophies he's won so far. But it's, it feels like a bit the beginning of a cycle again, I'd say, or, or at least the end and the beginning at the same time sort of thing. You've got the world, you know, so many mid, the, the midfield, a lot maybe changing in the year or two, whereas the attack is coming new and fresh already. It feels, I'd say, it's, it's, he's been at this club, he's been at City already longer than he's been at any other club. And he's going to be there, you know, he's going to be twice as long. But it feels like because it's kind of feeling new and refreshed, and as you say, it's built for him. I mean, handcrafted to suit his every possible need on and off the pitch. It doesn't feel like even if the City win the Champions League now that he'd be going anywhere anytime soon. No, I don't think so. You know, there's always the the possibility that something will happen that that will make him change his mind. Um, you know, there there is a break a break clause I think in the contract, and he and it, the reality is if he wants to go, City are going to let him go. Um, but he wouldn't sign a two year contract if he didn't think he was going to do another two years. And you're right, it is kind of. An evolving team once again. You think back to 2016 and he inherited a team that was aging. It would be fair to say, um, you know, the, the team that won City's first titles was getting old. It needed refreshing. He did that, especially his second transfer window. That first great team that he built has now kind of been aging, and he, and he has started to rejuvenate it. You think you're bringing Foden through. You think of signings like Diaz, uh, Harland and Laporte, Harland and um, Alvarez this year. He is kind of lowering that age profile. Like I said, the midfield is the next, um, the next target. Really, Gundogan's out of contracts. He's kind of been hinting that his future depends on Pep, so he might well stay now. But that midfield, when you think of Bernardo, Gundogan, De Bruyne, it is you know it is a midfield that are all in their prime, maybe at the moment, but not far necessarily from drifting the other side of it. It needs 
fresh legs like a Jude Bellingham or, or something like that. And that's probably the next the next target. But yeah, and it is, you know, you mentioned there the, the fact this would be nine years by the time the, the contract finishes. Uh, you know, it, it's absolutely incredible to think of that, really. I mean, when he took over, I think everyone felt he'd do four and, and that would be it. He'd, he did four at Barcelona and badly needed a break. He did three at Bayern Munich. And even, even Pep at the start of his reign said, you know, we seem to think that four years was going to be his limit. It shows a how he's changed to a degree that he doesn't take his work home as much. He doesn't become as intensely involved as he did, especially at Barca and that toxic rivalry with Mourinho. Um, so he has changed, but also City have just given him absolutely everything he needs and, and made it a joy rather than feeling it's becoming like a chore and that he needs to get away and, and needs a break. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as much of a boost as it will be, obviously on the pitch and playing, it is interesting to look at kind of the contract side of things and the players, as you say, there. Gundogan, I think, after he um, went away with Germany for the World Cup before it began, kind of hinted that, as you say, his future may well depend on um, what Guardiola does, and it'll be very interesting to see how those kind of eggs fall now that that's sorted. But um. City are quite well set in terms of players being out of contract. Gundogan is the only regular starter out of contract this summer. Scott Carson being the other one who, you know, he may well stay along regardless um, as long as he as long as he fancies it with the sound of it, with the um the kind of the experience he brings into the dressing room. But apart from that, and then even in 2024, the only player out of contract in 2024 is Kyle Walker. After that, every player you've got a list in 2025. I think like John Stones, I'm out of the pot. No, John, John Stones is 2026, sorry. In 2025, you've got Ake, Laporte, Mares, De Bruyne and Silva. So that'd be interesting. Um, and Ortega as well. So that'd be interesting when we get to there. But with Guardiola, even though there's not many players to bother about, that you just set the sense that players will be much more willing to extend their own futures now with City, knowing that Guardiola's going to be there. And of course... Playing under him, playing under Guardiola is such an attraction to new signings that it's going to give them such a boost in the race for Jude Bellingham, who you know is the most likely we like. We think it certainly just like Haaland did in the past summer. This the signing of Bellingham almost seems to make too much sense at this point. But I imagine there'll be many more targets City will look at because, as you say, there the midfield it does seem to be the next one that needs rejuvenation. You know, I say Gundogan's 30, 31 now. If he does sign a new contract, it's not going to be an especially long one, you wouldn't think. De Bruyne, 31. Um, Bernardo, well um, documented how he's wanted to return to close to home for the last couple of years. Um, Phillips, while just coming in, obviously had his injury issues. Hopefully he's beyond them. But City, in, and then Rodri's your only one who's pretty like, and then obviously Foden and Palmer, depending on what positions they end up taking. But Rodri's really your only midfielder there who's safe for 25 and set for another at least five years there, you know, being a stalwart, that is a position that's going to be the next to kind of refresh, rejuvenate, um, bring in fresh blood. And to have Guardiola there to attract the best possible players for that is going to be such a such an advantage over other teams in the market. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, it's a huge selling point for City that as a, as a player, you can come and work with, with Pep Guardiola. He's probably the most attractive option as, as a player to work with. I think... I think he just edges it over Klopp. I think there's plenty of players who would like to work with Klopp as well. But having having Pep is a major, major weapon for City. And like you say, for Jude Bellingham, looking where to go, you look at what Pep's done with, with midfielders and De Bruyne, Bernardo and their quality. Bellingham might look at that, might speak to Haaland about it and think, I, I want to play there. And it does, it does make it important that it's done fairly quickly and, and fairly promptly because as much as these are summer transfers we're talking about, 
the conversations start happening pretty early in the new year about summer transfers and just sort of, you know, we, we know how quickly Haaland and City were done and, and those conversations would have been happening, excuse me, relatively early in the season and, and agents on behalf of players will want to know what the situation is with the manager. So if it gets to February and March and, and Pep's future is still uncertain, then it does become an issue. But the fact it's done quickly allows them to present to any potential targets now or and Bellingham, for example, and say, look, this is the situation. Guardiola's doing another two years. You'll work under him for at least two years. He might stay further. And that's, you know, that's great security for potential signings. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and as we said, it's absolutely excellent that City managed to do this, get it sewn up so early. But to kind of play devil's advocate a little bit, could there be any concerns, maybe? As we say, he's no well, if he sees his contract at City to the end, he'll have stayed twice as longer at City than he has of any other club. Um, at Barcelona and Bayern, as you say, players did grow uh, jaded, I'd say, is the, probably the best way to put it, of Guardiola's intensity on the pitch. He's like, as we asked, you know, such a big plus of why players want to work with him is because he's like no one else. But that being like no one else brings with it uh, an added intensity that no one else um, brings. Um, uh, uh, you have to have such a mind to detail. And I can imagine... It, it's not you just you turn up at 10, you do two hours on the pitch, kick a ball about and go home at 12. It's so, so much more detailed and laborious. It can I can imagine it can get, and we've seen with um, in the past, it can get tiring and players, if you don't you know refresh that team enough and keep players hungry, it can become um, tiring, I imagine, for players. So is there, is there any danger of that? I'd, I'd say... Preemptively, he's working to make sure that isn't the case mm-hmm. with how he's refreshing. But I've, you know, there's still players who've been with him for a long time. De Bruyne has been there for all his stint. Um, you know, Edison Walker and like have been there, but for all but one year. And then, you know, is it is it going to be a new challenge for Guardiola? We've seen him rebuild the team for the first time this year properly. But with that, you know, another three years, he's probably going to have to do it again at some point. Like, is, how is he going to kind of tackle these challenges? Yeah, I think the, the intensity one's interesting because I think that that's always been it's kind of a fear over Guardiola's length of stay and like you say, that that intensity. But I do wonder if he's kind of dialed it down a bit from his Barcelona days now and, and like we say, learned to adapt himself. And he has said previously when, when he's been asked and asking him a press conference that he as a person has changed since those Barcelona days, as you do. And you don't really, you know, there's been there's been no stories of any City players getting... Um, irritated by his methods, or 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 anything like that, or worn down by it, and I think the, you know there simply would have been really. We we know there's players that have wanted to leave, like Sterling, for example, to to play more often. And much as Pep tried to say otherwise the other week, that relationship obviously didn't end particularly well. But I don't think there's many examples of of that. Um, you know, generally the players that have left have just left for first team opportunities rather than they can't take another another day of a training session under Pep and, and all those sort of minor adjustments. So it doesn't feel like any of those players are are at that point. And even if they do occasionally find it draining, they, they probably just go home and look at their medals and think it, it's worth it. It's worth it after all. Um, like I say, you, you never know how quickly things can change, especially with, with Guardiola. He, he can be quite impulsive or certainly could be quite impulsive. If they win the Champions League this year, you know, even even Guardiola probably doesn't know really if that will change his thinking, but you know, you get the impression that he's just he's so content with his working conditions at City that he just doesn't see the need to move. He doesn't see where the other ambitions are at the moment, and 
you know, he's only 51. It's not very old in, in managerial terms. So there's no, there's no rush to leave City. There's no rush to go and manage a national team or, you know, working in Serie A has been mentioned at the moment. I can't see a job in Serie A that would attract him. Um, Juventus need a, need a rebuild. They're going to need a new manager. But in standards, you're dropping so far from City now with the standards of Serie A that it's just not going to happen. So I don't think there's another job or another challenge out there for him at the moment. He's not of an age where time is running out and he needs to do those challenges. So I think he's just so happy and so content at City that even the idea of you know, building another squad and having to rejuvenate that midfield is is not really going to phase him, I don't think. I presume Klopp's probably the only manager of by six months who's longer serving than him in the Premier League. And there can't be many more off the top of my head in the Football League who are going to, you know, especially when he gets to 2025, will have the longest stint as him. To get nine years in at this day and age is kind of remarkable. Could he, you know, could he do a Ferguson? I mean, um, I thought said it wouldn't be done again, but as you say, his working conditions are so finely tuned to everything he could possibly need. I mean, the only probably downside is this blimmin' weather, because it's a good job he signed his contract yeah. in Abu Dhabi, because if he was doing it um, in, in Manchester this week, he might have second thoughts. But other than that, like, why would he leave unless he just wants a break from the game, as you say? Well, that's it. And, you know, he always says, he always gives us this line that it's not just up to him if it is, it's up to the club. I mean, the idea of the club sacking him is is basically unthinkable. Um, I just said, look, he's, he's the fifth longest serving manager in the 92 clubs. Uh, three AFL ones at top, Simon Weaver at Harrogate, Gareth Ainsworth at Wickham and John Coleman at Stanley. And then it's Klopp and Guardiola, who in the Premier League will be the longest serving by quite a distance, I'd have thought. Um, you know, the idea of him doing a, Tom, uh, a Thomas Frank... Uh, that's because he's next on the list. Um, the idea of him doing a Ferguson is, you know, it's very hard to see. I think even nine years at clubs these days is is incredible. You know, and it's fantastic that, that Guardiola and Klopp are, are going to continue for another two years, really, and, and keep that rivalry going because it is, in football in terms, it's fantastic to, to see. And you think Liverpool will will find a way to rejuvenate and come back at City. Um, but yeah, it is. He's so content at the moment. It is hard to see what what changes for him. Maybe that personal situation, like we say, he is clearly happy in Manchester. Um, you know, it's it's well known that his wife's gone back to Barcelona and children have gone back to Barcelona now. At some point, that might become an issue that he wants to spend more time with his family and and things like that, and the schedule just becomes too much. But for for sporting reasons, it's hard to see why why he would leave at the moment and. I think once you've got past that four years and that idea that he wears himself down, it just it doesn't seem to be happening now at, at any point. He doesn't seem to ever be in that position where it's it's getting too much and he needs a break. So, you know, you wouldn't rule out maybe another another contract extension after that. Maybe he'll see ten years as a nice a nice kind of dynasty, a decade at, at City and, and move on. But yeah, it's hard to see. Hard to see um, why he would go at the moment. But if you're asking me if he'll do 26 years, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say no because that won't be happening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's um, it's obviously an issue that City don't have to think about now for a few more years. But 
does it make it harder to replace him when that day eventually does come? You know, we've seen Barcelona did it with kind of promoting from within. It was going really well until obviously what happened was it um, Villanova, who unfortunately, of course, um, passed away. And like yeah. they had a, a really good idea and it worked for a while. City doesn't see, don't seem to be putting as much emphasis on Brian Barry Murphy's doing a great team, a great job with the EDS, of course, and they've got good coaches, I'm sure, within the system. But it doesn't really seem like a successor is being groomed quite like Barcelona did. Of course, Arteta might well have been um, the idea there at one point before he left off for Pastures New. Pastures pretty green, um, as it turns out, um, beforehand. But do, do, do you think there is maybe a concern of that job? When it, you know, it's a bridge to come to another day, of course, but when they get to it, it might be quite a difficult bridge to cross. Yeah, definitely. And it's very hard to plan for who's who's going to be the ideal person in, in two and a half years now, if that is the date that he goes. So much can can change then. And you'd, you'd look at potential candidates now, like Pochettino, Ruben Amarim. Anything could happen in the next two and a half years to, to their careers. There could be other outstanding candidates coming then. Excuse me. So it's very difficult to plan. I'm sure City will have a constantly updated list of of likely candidates just in case the day does come where, where Guardiola has a change of mind or something changes and, and he wants to go. But in terms of planning for 2025, it is almost impossible. And how they face that date, I mean, it's it's hard to say. I remember having a conversation maybe last year about, I think it's before Klopp signed his new contract, about how Liverpool and, and City would deal with that. And I kind of felt that Liverpool might fare worse because Klopp is like the emotional heart of that team, isn't he? All the players are emotionally invested in Klopp, it feels like. And when he goes, that's such an emotional lull. Whereas you mentioned before the the intensity of Guardiola and it might be helping them winning trophies, but there might also be a case that if he goes, a few of the players might think, you know, that was great, but I am ready for something different. But also now it's been going on for so long that if it gets to nine years and he goes, it's it's a club that even... It's not just nine years, it's the three or so years before that when Soriano and Bagiristein were there. It's a club for more than a decade, has been built to Pep's mm. standards. And you've also got the possibility that when he goes, Soriano or Bagiristein might go. They'll have been there a long time then. And that's a huge wealth of knowledge and experience going. And they'll almost have to, you know, they'll almost have to start again potentially if, if that happens. So, you know, the longer it goes on for City, the better it is. But I do think there's also a case of when it does end as a result of that, the harder it becomes to replace him just because the, the institutional knowledge now is all Pep's, it's all Soriano's, it's all Bagheristein's. And if they all think it's a similar time to go, then that could cause problems. You mentioned Ferguson before. I guess the prime example of that is is Ferguson and David David Gill going in the same summer and look at the problems that caused United. So I'm sure that's something City would would want to avoid and at least mm-hmm. phase those potential departures out. Absolutely. Well, that's as I say, that's not something City have to kind of be worried too much about for a few years yet. And until then, the the, the short to medium term future, at least, is looking very bright, very promising and very blue, no doubt. But moving over to, of course, the World Cup. It's been it's been a weird one, Ty, to say the least. <laughs> no, I caught I caught World Cup fever last week on this pod, and as I, I went over to to the United pod for a little. A little um, a one-off, and you know, seeing all the old war horses who were in the squad, and um, seeing so many squads, and I got me really excited for the tournament. Me and Joe talked at length about it, but I must say, um, seeing Infantino act, act like a blimmin' Star Wars baddie and saying some absolutely obscene stuff before the tournament even kicked off, and then a lot of 
the quality of some of the games, shall we say. I think being very generous, it's been a, quite a mixed tournament. There's been some great shocks, um, some absolutely kind of vintage World Cup upsets. But apart from that, it's either been nil-nil draws or minnows getting absolutely battered, which is fun when you're watching England do it, but not quite <laughs> as not quite as exciting um, every other time. I'd say it's, it's, it, the World Cup fever may have mellowed a little bit. We'll see again tomorrow if it picks up when um, the, the, we're in Whitby, going to going to Whitby to, to watch the oh, game. Nice. Oh, I got calls in Whitby on Saturday, so going a little. little Little trip away, um, you know, not going to Qatar, so we'll make a we'll make a different away day of it, absolutely. But yeah, bit of strange World Cup, hasn't it, Ty? A weird one. Yeah, it really has. There's been some incredible results. Um, I think Saudi Arabia and mm-hmm. um, and Japan, obviously, from a, an English point of view, England winning six two, but then there's been four nil nils out of fourteen games. I don't think any of them are what you'd call good nil nils. Um, no. I mean, Morocco, Croatia just should should never never see the light of day again. That tape should be burned. <laughs> the one earlier, Uruguay South Korea was a letdown. Denmark Tunisia was a terrible game. I can't yep. even remember what the other nil nil was. Um, so it's been a pretty poor tournament. And I know there was a an idea. And Poland, I think Bruno, Poland, Mexico, Poland, Mexico. Also, that's it. We that had a show up. The absolute That's World it. Cup goal coming back, yeah. but apart yeah. from that, not good. Yeah, I've no idea what he does in four years between World Cups. He always looks mm-hmm. such a good keeper and then must just, uh, yeah, just I don't know where he goes for those four years. But yeah, the, the standard has been pretty poor. And I think it was Bruno Fernandes who said um, in that press conference of the day where he was being inundated with questions about Ronaldo and in one of the rare World Cup questions, understandably, he, you know, he, say, he said that the, the tournament might be better it might be more competitive because players are going into it on the back of a season it's not like you stop for two weeks three weeks and then restart as you do with the June tournament you've literally been playing Premier League Serie A La Liga Liga and games whatever a week before the tournament starts so you're at peak fitness and going into it but it has you know it has not looked that way and I think it's just as as as, as interesting and as good and as fun as World Cups still are they're not the peak of football anymore. The, the Champions no. League is, and you compare these games to Champions League games, even group stages, and it's you know the the, the difference in intensity and quality is astronomical. It really mm-hmm. is, and part of that I think is the way that football's coached these days. The intricacy with which the game's coached um, helps teams that are together eight months of the year, whereas these have had three or four training sessions together, and I think that makes mm-hmm. a difference. But the yeah, the standard in Champions League games is is so much better and. I spoke to someone at United um, a couple of weeks ago and talking about the World Cup on the fitness side of things. And, you know, they were saying that the difficulty is going to be A, managing players who go but aren't getting minutes. And B, even players are getting minutes. The the intensity of a World Cup game isn't as intense as a Premier League game. And that might that might sound a strange thing to say, but that's just the way it is these days. Mm-hmm. And, and watching them, you can see that that definitely is the case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's hard for, as you say, a, a World Cup in normal circumstances when you have three weeks and two friendlies or whatever, whatever it used to be to prepare for it. Even then, it's hard to really um, ingrain any sort of tactical system, a real good pressing unit or anything like that in just that short amount of time. To do it when you've had, you know, seven days to prepare and half of that is spent travelling to the country and to your training camps and getting acclimatised and etc. It's impossible to do. So I think, as me and Joe said last week, the teams that are most settled, which appear to be England and Spain, with any luck, um, are the ones who are going to start really well, which they have mm-hmm. done. Um, I should say, 
the quality might not be as good, but I think the charm, the magic, even though there's been some absolutely dire games, I thought even the Netherlands 2-0 against Senegal was after the the um, energy rush of England to then follow it up with yeah, that was a right was it when we were all, yeah that was a re- very much a come down it must be said and the you know, Switzerland defeated I've had a good knack I must say I have had a good knack so far of the games I've missed being rubbish I've only missed <laughs> I've only missed Japan and Germany which was oh. absolutely gutting but I've, any, everything else the ones that I've missed have usually been the nil nils which has been quite a good quite a good look but um, quite a good look for me but um. I say the the charm of it is like you know you can have as much co- you, you can have as much money as you want um, in, as a country in developing your nations, but if you haven't got the players, then you're stuck with what you've got. As Qatar found out on the opening yeah. day when their goalkeeper <laughs> it transpired has never played football before, <laughs> it's so weird. My my prediction of them being a dark horse went straight into the bin because you know as as many pointed out, Qatar won the Asia Games in 2019, beating. Iran, I believe, and a ton like included Japan and South Korea and whatever, like good good teams. They won that. They came and they got into the second semi-finals of the Gold Cup recently, only losing to America by one goal. But when it came to the opening game, maybe it was nerves on such a big occasion that had been twelve years in the making. But my God, it it was quite a cathartic bottle job from them. It must be said. Yeah, it was. They were they were pretty poor, weren't they? Um offered very, very little at all. And like you say, that is the beauty of international football, that if you've got a pretty poor goalkeeper or you've got a weak link in your squad, you've just got to grin and bear it. You've got to coach around it. You can't just go out and spend £50 million on on signing a new goalkeeper. So that is the beauty of it. And you're right, there is there is a magic a magic still associated with, with these tournaments, even if the quality is not there. And maybe this one's not, not quite as magical, given all the circumstances around it, I guess. And some of the things going on over there, although the attendances would, would suggest it's, it's pretty magical given their <laughs> every single game is over capacity. So there must be literally well, knocking I mean, the doors down to get in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there is there is still a magic to it. And, and like you say, it has been a weird tournament because we're sat talking about 4 nil nils in 14 games and the standard mm-hmm. not being great. But there's also been two games that will probably be talked about for, for years to come in, in World Cup history and especially Saudi Arabia, Argentina. That'll go down alongside, you know, France losing to Senegal in 02 and Argentina losing to Cameroon in 1990 as kind of modern day examples as, as the biggest shocks in World Cup history. Yeah, absolutely. That was a remarkable game. Probably one of the games of the tournament so far. Um, I presume, along with Germany and Japan, and um, I thought Wales' 1-1 draw with America was quite a thrilling game. How Wales weren't 3-0 down within yeah. uh, before half-time, I'll never know. But then, as I say, play with what you got. You stick the big target man on, big Kiefer, and all <laughs> all, all, all hell re- um, reigns. You know, just to kind of round up City players' his involvement so far. Portugal are just about to kick off at time of recording. Bernardo Diaz and Cancelo all involved there. Um, Manuel Akanji, Switzerland, defeated Cameroon 1-0. Um, a, a quite an injury, what might be, when we've got a bit more time to discuss, Rodri and Laporte at centre-back. You know, they didn't have much to uh, defend against against Costa Rica, but they um, were a good part of a 7-0 win. Very intriguing if Pep might be looking at that with um, you know a backup plan in mind, should an energy crisis ever strike again at the back. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne as Belgium beat Canada 1-0. He was not happy we're receiving the Man of the Match award afterwards and said that he's only, basically said he's only got it because of his name. Um, I didn't watch that one, thankfully, so it said like another... He wasn't one. very good. He wasn't well, very good. I'm just amazed he got it. One of his well, poorer games. Well, he wasn't that good against Brentford either, so let's hope he gets that out of his system before <laughs> City return to action. Um, Ilkay Gundogan scored from the penalty spot, but that wasn't enough um, for Germany as they somehow lost to Japan. Uh, as I said in the preview, 
Japan are great value in this World Cup and I hope they get through to the knockout stages. Their game with Belgium in 2018 was one of my favourites. Um, Julian Alvarez um, tried as he might, um, couldn't get Argentina back into it, as we said, as they lost to Saudi Arabia. Two stunning goals from the Saudis to cap an amazing win and some amazing celebrations uh, afterwards. Uh, Nathan Ake uh, played as Netherlands beat Senegal 2-0. And then, of course, uh, Foden, uh, Grealish and John Stones all involved as England beat Iran 6-2. Phillips and Walker on the bench, but a lovely moment for Jack Grealish as he got his first World Cup goal. So unselfishly being set up by Callum Wilson, who he's, he's certainly a better man than me. I was charging through on goal um, in the last minute when you're 5-1 or 5-2 up. You're 30 years old. It's your first World Cup. I think I'd be taking the shot. Yeah. But he set up Grealish, which I think says quite a lot about the spirit in that England squad. And I was quite worried about that game going in. I thought it'd be quite a dull affair with Carlos Queiroz. And I, I think I said something on the lines of England needs to kind of be on the front foot, score early, and then the, very look, the floodgates will open. They certainly did. They could have scored earlier if um, you know Stones and Maguire simultaneously been awarded the penalty they deserved, and somehow yeah. Iran got one for the exact same thing um, later on in the last kick of the game. Um, there's not much you could do about them two goals from Iran. A bit disappointing, but otherwise. Really good from England, I thought. I thought the midfield of Rice, Bellingham and Mount looked really dynamic, really entertaining. Bellingham, as we say, if he if, if City are the one to get him, we've known it for quite some time now. But my God, what a player and what an opening goal. Yeah, definitely. He was absolutely brilliant, wasn't he? And you're right, I thought the mid, the balance of the midfield three looked absolutely fantastic. The way they rotated positions and, and just moved around around. And they'll obviously face tougher tests. But yeah, that looked a midfield three worth worth persevering with it, a formation worth persevering with. I was with you that I thought that was going to be a 1-0, 2-0, 2-1 kind of job. And I was amazed they won it as handsomely as they did in the end. But they did play really well. There was a fluidity to the way they played, the interchanging of positions. Um, interesting what you said before about them being a settled team and, and that may be helping and something I hadn't thought about, but you can kind of see because they did play with, with a, familiar, a familiarity that you don't normally get. I don't always get with international football. So yeah, a, a very promising start. And there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a, on Monday night, there was a lot of it's only Iran. Let's not get carried away. But it was only Saudi Arabia and it was only Japan. So, you know, you can only beat what's put in front of you and they beat them pretty handsomely. So, um, so yeah, as, as good a start as, as could have been hoped for, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think as we, you know, we'll still wait to see Portugal and Brazil play their first games, um, as we'll do later on today on Thursday. But apart from England and Spain... None of the other big teams, our favourites, or any team you may think would go far, have looked like a good attacking threat. I thought Argentina was so sluggish, could hardly get yeah. for an hour of that second half, for half an hour, whatever it was, when they were chasing them, the chasing to get back into the game. I don't think they had a sh- an actual shot on target. They had a couple of headers. But apart from that, they, they could make nothing. Germany look a bit listless. France, of course, I... I'm, I forget, looked really good. They um, came back to beat Australia 4-1 and despite all their injury problems, Mbappe, Griezmann and and Giroud looked still to be a a class um, forward line. So they have been attacking well and Spain looked really good um, with Gavi and Pedri pulling the strings. But England, Spain and France are the only teams so far who've hit the ground running, look a real threat going forward. And your your Netherlands, Argentina's, Germany's um, and the like are all looking pretty sluggish. And I think... You know, we'll see how Brazil and Portugal fare um, later on today. But I think England's chances, I was optimistic as it was. I don't know what you were thinking before the tournament. I was pretty optimistic England could at least get the semis, depending on how that draw for, um, falls with France. But, man, we're going to win it. 
Yeah, I think France in the quarters is still a, a concern, isn't it? I think France are still a better team than we are. Um, but I, I always thought we should reach the quarters and that Southgate's tournament record was was deserving of probably more respect on on the way in. But like you say, if the team's played so far, you, you'd say we're definitely contenders. Um, you know, we said before, Holland wasn't a great game, but Senegal are pretty defensive. I still think Holland have got the potential under Van Gaal to go close as well. Um, I think they could do well. Um, we haven't seen Brazil yet, but I think Brazil would still be my favourites. Um, yeah, on the, on the basis of that so far, you'd definitely say England are, are in there with a chance, but yeah, could maybe do with um, with some luck of the draw and, and Denmark maybe finding a way to beat France. Absolutely. Well, let's keep fingers crossed. Let's keep fingers crossed that England don't make me look like an absolute idiot when they play America <laughs> on Friday night. But we'll bring the podcast to a close there because Portugal has kicked off and we're all eager to go and see um, if they you know, if they can bottle it just like a Germany-Argentina have. But everyone, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Talking City podcast. If you want to keep up to date on all the latest City news and happenings during the World Cup and back in Manchester, as you say, new, new Guardiola contract, who knows what else will be happening um, in the coming weeks. You can get all the latest news over on manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. You can follow all the articles that we publish over on Twitter at Man City MEM and we'll be a steady stream of them over on Facebook as well, uh, Manchester Evening News uh, dash Manchester City. Thanks again, everyone, for um, listening. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about all the latest World Cup happenings and who knows, maybe some more City news. But until then, thank you all very much for listening. Until then.